Welcome to Belly Up to the Blackboard, a podcast focused on the reality of teaching and other musings from and about professionals, hosted by Chris Munn and Justin Russell. All right, welcome back. It's, uh, it's been a while since we recorded. Um, Justin's not here today, um, so it's, I'm flying solo here, but I do have a great special guest here, so I've got Ryan Pelkey. Um, Ryan, uh, the first thing we always, you've heard the podcast before, the first thing we always do is we pop the champagne bottle. And uh, if you're drinking, you are. If you're not, you're not. Um, I've got a Smithwick's here hidden behind this Nebraska koozie. I hope you don't get offended by my Nebraska fandom. No, I'm good. I'm good with that. I'm uh, rocking a PBR. You know, <laughs> I don't, like I said, I don't fool around. That's get it right. done. Old school. I love it. I love it. Um, so, so let's go ahead and get started. Let's, let's talk a little bit about yourself. Um, so what is your background? What led you into teaching? Uh, like, is that where you're at right now still? Um, or how has that changed? So this is my 25th year in education overall. Um, I got involved in education because of the people that I grew up with in upstate New York, my teachers, my principals, my coaches, those people were larger than life to me. They were my mentors. They were people that I looked up to and people that, you know, I saw that I wanted to be when I grew up. So I taught health and PE for about 23 years, give or take a little bit, um, in North Carolina, uh, Virginia, did a little private school in Pennsylvania. And currently I am, um, an admin intern, which is like an assistant principal at the current school that I'm at. Um, this is my first full year doing it. Had a lot of experience before subbing in and helping out where I need to, to go. Um, this is my future, uh, without a doubt. I'm, I'm very excited to get involved in school administration while other people are like, that's not for me. I really feel like it's for me and I feel like I can do a, a bigger and better job than I have in the past. Great. I appreciate that. Um, I was in the same boat kind of as you as um, I had great teachers in high school. Um, there were some teachers where I didn't know what the class was I was taking. I just knew they were teaching it. So I was going to be there. Um, and same thing with coaching. So I, I continue to coach now. Um, different sport. I, it was football before. And then I got into track because I ran track as well when I was in high school. Um, and I just I just love that part of it. So when you mentioned, you know, moving into to administration, um, it, for me, I, like I've thought about it, but it's hard for me to like for me to step away from the classroom as well as I know I wouldn't have time to coach as well. And I, and I love doing both of those things. So uh, and kudos to you to, to to being able to do that. It's that's that was one of my um, barriers, I guess you could say, if, if I ever wanted to be an administrator was I, I, I love being in that classroom. And, I, and I've got a special ed class, so I've got a small group yeah. of kids. Um, that I feel like I can make a, a big impact on as opposed to like 30, you know, in a jet class. And, and what did you have? Cause you had PE. What did you, what were your numbers? Uh, my class sizes are anywhere between like 25 and as high as like 60. Um, but to coach, getting back to coaching, I was involved in coaching for a very long time outside before I was, I was growing up and, um, I'm not going to give it up, uh, technically, uh, this is something that was interesting this past year. I kind of coached for my wrestling team, came in for a couple uh, matches. And um, so I figured out I coached in the 80s, the 90s, the zeros, the 10s, <laughs> and the 20s. And God help me, I'm going to be back in the 30s, you know, going back and, and coaching a little bit because it's an accomplishment. It's a big accomplishment. A lot of the stuff's in middle school, but, you know, I did have some high school experience. I even coached tennis. Uh, I, I do miss coaching. But at the same time, I see a bigger picture 
And everything that I did as a coach is all about what we're doing now as an administrator, coaching and looking for instructional leadership, how to get the best out of your teachers and how to, you know, like really coach them up to the point where this is the tools that you're going to have. This is how we're going to rock it out. And, this is, you know, as, as a coach, I'm going to get you that next level. Yeah, and there are a lot of things in the coaching realm that, that translate really great into teaching. And, and like you said, you're kind of at that, you know, if you think about a pyramid of, like, influence, I guess, I'm kind of towards the bottom with I've got the kids under me there influencing them, but you're able to get up there higher with you're hitting the teachers, then that's going to trickle down. So you're making a bigger impact, I would say, too, because you're, I mean, you've got a broader range of, uh, of people that you're, you're working with. I, I always run at a fast pace. Um, I, I have to credit that to my dad. I mean, when he was coaching, he was always two or three innings ahead of everybody else, knowing how the pieces fit together. And he couldn't talk about the present, but he sure knew what was going to happen a couple innings later. And I really relate that now to making sure that I'm proactive to certain things and certain things I just have to let go because I know in the long run it's not going to help me. It's going to hurt me. Uh, so we're always looking at trying to, to, to put those positive pieces in place and trust the process. And, and it's hard as a first year, second year administrator to be jumping into that. But I really have that coaching background to rely upon where other people don't. And uh, it's people management more than anything else, whether it's little kids, high school kids, travel ball players, it's all people management. It's using your best people in the best position possible to get the best results. That's a great way to put that. And you are a busy guy. Um, you're also a, uh, an accomplished author, too. So I, I picked up the book here. I read through it. It's, it's a great book. And I'll tell you what, the, I got uh, a preteen, and then I got a, a boy, and then a nine-year-old daughter. And wow, that, that, that's pretty accurate right there. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? And, um, you know, what, what gave you the idea to write it from the point of view that you did? During the pandemic, I was always, before pandemic, and, and, and I was always like, I'm going to write a book. I want to I want to leave my mark on something and uh, my nephew and my brother-in-law used to live with us in our household and my nephew kind of grew up with us and he gets embarrassed now he's in seventh grade um, knowing that I wrote a book about him but his dad used to always say Nick if you don't stop listening your ears are going to fall off and he and I kind of related it to things that you know it, it's like a flower if you don't water a flower the leaves are going to fall off and die so I kind of went through that lens and took a story on how important listening skills are, but it's not really your ears that you listen with. Um, and he finds out in the book that he loses his ears, but he learns to listen because he takes the time to sit face to face with people, write things down and actually slow his role more than anything else and understand that there's other people involved in the world, just not him. And I think that was, it's important for people to understand that with listening skills, you get caught up with everything else, but it's one of the most important things to be an active listener, to have those conversations where, and, and we're dealing with it right now in school, because one of the big things that um, really helps us in school is sentence starters. Our middle schoolers don't know how to talk to each other. So if they present something, our middle schoolers look at each other and go, Ooh, that was good. But we really need to listen and, and ask why they said the way they needed to say it. And so I've used my book for a couple classes. I've used my book for summer school and things that I've taught and, and, you know, been an administrator of, but it's, it's about taking the moment to really see that there's more to life than you. And for middle school kids, it's awful hard. 
uh, teenagers are very self-centered. You know, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, especially when they start getting that that phone. I know that was a a big part of that book where, (laughs) you know, he's in that phone the whole time. And and I can see that with with my son sometimes, too, is that it's like, stop, put the phone (laughs) down. You don't need it 100% of the time because you're missing things. Um, so yeah, that was, like I said, that was, that was really, uh, a hundred percent. Yeah. I, I felt like I was, I could have changed the name in the book a couple of those times, uh, to my son's name with, when we talk about not being able to communicate with each other, one thing, and this is just my theory is, is that they text each other and it's very short and they don't know how, I mean, and then you see that in writing as well, that they don't know how to write, you know, words correctly, um, or, or put together full sentences. It's not, and, they're, and they always say, well, that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. But when you look at it on paper, it's taking what it's in their head and being able to express it outwardly. Um, we lost a lot of that social skill-wise uh, during the pandemic. And that's one of the things that we're trying to pull out of kids now where we, where my school is that, you know, having these conversations are important because it's soft skills going on to the future. When you go to job interviews, when you go to work at a job, you got to learn to collaborate with each other. You have to learn. You're not just going to text each other the job for on a job project. You're actually going to have to sit down at a table and work with each other. And if we can get the soft skills down now, the smarts are there. We didn't have any learning loss during the pandemic. The kids just refused to work because they weren't told to, they weren't made to, but we lost the soft skills. We lost how to be nice to each other, how to work with each other and how to get to that next level. That's where we're struggling. And I think that schools, this SEL learning is, is not focusing enough on that. It's not focusing on the fact that these kids are like just lost uh, emotionally. And there's so many mental health issues. Uh, we can't, the students can't learn if they don't feel safe, whether it's because the schools don't feel safe uh, psychologically or, you know, due to school shootings and things like that. But if they don't feel safe, same with teachers. Teachers won't teach if they don't feel safe, that psychological safety environment. So we have to make sure that we're taking care of everybody to, for everyone to thrive. And I agree. And, and when, when we've talked at, at our school about, you know, what's the most important thing, <laughs> uh, for me it's building the relationships with kids because they're not going to work for you and, and try to attempt the harder things if they don't feel that you have their back, um, you know, or, or that you, they can trust you. Um, and I, I can't remember what the saying is, you won't know how much somebody cares until they, I, I can't, you know what I mean? The, I can't remember what that quote is, but it, it's more about caring first. Um, and then you can see what they know as opposed to vice versa. So there's a quote yeah, there. When I you're not remember. there, when you're not there, if they can, still follow on what they're doing and how to, you know, and follow along with what your vision is and your goals, then you're on the right path. Um, I kind of relate that to currently in my school, we have an evolved system, which is like a uh, weapons detector system. As you go in, you have to look at scanners and things like that. That's one of my pet projects. And um, um, they told me that it runs smoothly when I'm not there. And I said, well, that's because I made sure that we were set up straight and I trained you all to make sure that if one piece was gone, someone else could step in and take care of it. We need to relate that to our kids. We need to relate that to the kids in our classes and say, if the teacher's not here, it doesn't matter who the sub is. We can lay out the information, your projects, and get what you need done. If you have a good classroom management, you have a good system, and the kids believe in you and believe what you're doing, picking up what you're putting down, then 
you're going to thrive. You know, we can give the kids all the tools in the world, but if they don't want to drink the water, when you bring them to the water, it's on them. Um, but if we hold them accountable and stick with it and not be afraid to fall with them, we're, we're good. Yeah. No, I, and I, I like how you said that. Now, when we talk about, you know, kids listening and being part of that and kind of going back to that, I was going to ask you, do you guys have a phone policy at your school? We just recently switched ours. Um, and how many kids do you have in your, in your school? In our middle school, I have about 1,150 kids, okay. um, six, seven, and eight. And we do a phone policy. We tell the kids to keep it in their backpack. We don't use lockers. Um, so it's backpacks everywhere because we just don't have time. I mean, it took, the locker time took up so much of the day. And even if we limited it to certain periods, it took up way too much period, too many, too many time during the day. So our phone policy is if we see you out with it, you're going to get a warning. And then it's going to go up to the office. We have, it's called a code green and they, and the, we have security. They come get it in a lockbox and keep it in a safe in the office. And at the end of the day, you can pick it up. But if it's your second time, your parents have to come pick it up. You know, and it's, it's an issue. I mean, when we have fights, we have things going on. The first thing you see is kids throwing their phones up and you can see it. I mean, some teachers try to be the cool teachers and say, okay, you can use your phones now. That defeats the whole purpose of us having rules and, and, you know, being consistent across the board. I can't control all the adults. What I can do as, as an administrator is just be strict and, and say, look, this is the second time you get your phone taken away. Sorry, you're not getting it back till the parent comes. Well, they can't. Sorry. You made the decision. Since you made the decision, this is your choice or your consequence. Now, the parent, we call the parent and they give us permission. Cool. We'll figure that out. But we don't advertise that. Yeah. That's not something that we say, you know, whatever. But in certain situations, there's always those shades of gray that you have to adjust. Um, but you also have to be, <clears throat> you know, uh, that guy Joe Clark from Lean On Me, when yep. I was in college, I got to have dinner with him. He spoke at our college at, at, at Lock Haven University. And when I was out to dinner with him, he said, fair, firm, and consistent. And, man, those three words have stuck in my brain since 1995. You know, 1994, 1995, and it's like, okay, as long as I'm consistent, I mean what I say and say what I mean, it's going to go a long way because the kids are going to respect you over time. The parents are going to respect your policies and just be all the time consistent every day. Our principal every day gets on the horn and says, you know, we love you. We're here for you, but these are our rules and expectations. They hear it every day. If someone has their hood up in the hallway or someone's on their phone, nine out of 10 kids are going to say, hey, they told us we couldn't do that. And we're going to keep it moving. Yeah, and that and that's so. tough. When you talk about consistency, it's if something's it, it only works as well as your your staff's going to allow it to work. And what I mean by that is, if you have a policy and and half of the staff is doing it and the other half is not, um, one you're going to you get frustrated because you may walk by a teacher's room and it's you know hat on, hood on, or phone out, and it's like okay, I'm beating my head against the wall getting these kids to to keep their phones away and everything. But then you're hearing, well, they let me do it. You know, this so-and-so lets me do it. It's like, well, yeah, that's not the policy. Um, we just switched uh, about a month ago, maybe a couple weeks ago, um, because it was that, like, that first one, put it away. The second one, you know, I take it. The third one, it goes to the officer. You know, something along those lines. But now what we've done is we have a policy, and there's some flexibility with teachers, um, like how you're going to do it, whether it's like a shower caddy, whether it's one of those calculator caddies. Um. Um, another idea, which we had looked into a, a few years ago, are those yonder bags that you have. Um, yeah, I saw those. And those are so expensive. 
Um, so, <laughs> so the bootleg version, we actually use manila envelopes with Velcro on it. So then the kid okay. puts it in there, they Velcro it shut, and, and I let them keep, it's at their desk, so they can't access it. If they start to open it, you hear the Velcro, right? And you, it gets to the office, but um, now it's flat out, your warning was us setting this up. That's your warning. If it's out, there's no, it's, uh, you know, there's no, you know, struggle, you know, struggle for the phone or anything <laughs> like that. I just either shoot an email or, or call and say, hey, you need to come get this kid's phone. They come get it. They can't have it till the parent comes and gets it. Um, but for, you know, we had these different options, which is great because some teachers like it one way or the other. I like this because the kid, I'm like, you still have your phone there. You can, you can pet the bag if you want to, if you're struggling with, you know, <laughs> relinquishing it. But, um, Pyramid, no, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. So uh, it's worked well for me. Kids are even, there was one period I was busy doing something and a kid asked me about it, like, because I didn't give, hand him out yet. So the, I think we're over that hump of they're going to fight about it. And now they, they've just accepted what it is. And I haven't had any issues with my class, which is, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one, it was just becoming too difficult with two to three times or some teachers weren't doing it. So this is the policy. And, and this, you know, if it's a problem, your parents can come talk to us. And we got, our, our principal did get phone calls, but um, so far for me, at least it's worked pretty well. Um, yeah, we get a lot of kids saying it's my property. You can't touch it. And then we call the parent and the parent's like, oh, no, that's my property. Go ahead and do what you got to do with it. I deal with the same thing at home, you know, and, and some of the other options we do is they have to turn it in at the beginning of the day. Yep. And, and then they can get it at the end of the day. We get to that point, then they know uh, you put it on like a two week probation period where they can't have it at all during a day. because it's too much of a distraction. <clears throat> and, you know, the, the biggest struggle we have is the Instagram and the TikTok accounts where they're setting up accounts where they're making fun of people or they're fighting and middle school they're 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 mean yeah and no matter how many times i've blocked it and reported it and things like that it just pops up someone else will pick it up carry it on well, so you just have to go ahead teach we just need to teach kindness more than anything else yeah because i mean they're going to find one way or another to either be nice or be mean so you know teaching that part of it and and here's where screens and i know a lot of people have said this about the cyberbullying things like that is you know, when we, you and I were in school, if you had a problem with somebody, you would have to go say it to their face. So you maybe thought second, you know, nah, do I really want to say this or am I just going to let it go? You know, because you're going to have probably a physical confrontation possibly, if not just words. Yeah. But there, there's just such an ease because you're, you're looking at a screen to send something. The keyboard warriors too. Exactly. All these kids hide behind their keyboards. And we do, uh, I don't know if you guys have Bark at your school. Bark is like a uh, net nanny. So we'll get a bunch of alerts if kids are, there's certain words or certain phrases or certain things that'll trigger it, whether it's emails talking about suicide or drugs or gang activities or guns or weapons or anything like that. And they'll just talk so much crazy stuff against each other. And then when I put them in the same room, they can't talk because they don't have that, that barrier. They don't have that shield. And they don't know how to have conversations. Restorative practices is useless until we can get them to talk. Yeah. So as an administrator, I would love to do all sorts of restorative circles and kumbaya and everything like that, which we're trained to do. But if they don't want to talk and they won't talk, because whenever I ask who did it or whatever, they're not going to snitch. That snitching culture has a stop too. And um, it's just a matter of time. It's not perfect. But again, it's building relationships. It's building trust. 
It's having a couple kids that buy into your system and then hoping it starts trickling out over the next three years. I mean, I'm a sixth grade administrator right now. I hope to be carrying those kids for the next three years. That's my goal. So when they're in eighth grade, I've left an imprint on them that they're prepared for a cop for high school, you know, that they have the steps and they feel comfortable that, that they'll have different teachers, but they'll know my expectations for three years. Parents will know my expectations for three years and I'll grow with them. And I'll, that's my biggest, um, my biggest heart thing is, is seeing the growth of my students over the last 25 years, seeing how they've grown into adults and how they have kids of their own. And so on a small scale, I can see a, a weird sixth grader grow into an eighth grader who's ready to go into high school and go on and, and, and make a big change. That's what makes me happy. That's when I know I've helped. And and the key to that, too, is is being there. And, and I don't know about at, at your school, but one of the things that I think kids struggle with is they don't know expectations from teachers because the turnover rate is so much. And, and I know when I was in school, I had, there was a couple, yeah. you know, changes in teaching, but those main teachers, I built those relationships with, they, they were there for, for years and years. And it's hard for some of these kids that, you know, they, they're, they've been there longer than the teacher, you know, they're there for three years and they've had four different teach you know, there's four different teachers from classes or whatever it may be. But I think that turnover, you don't get to build that relationship that kids need. Um, so I think that's um, some of that uh, um, just teacher, you know, sticking it out. And, and there's many reasons why teachers leave the profession. And um, we're going to we're going to jump down to a question and then we'll, we'll come back to this because I do have questions for some young teachers, some advice you might have. Um, but what are your thoughts that school should be, you know, just be academic based and, and no emotional based? Uh, it's got to have balance. <clears throat> you know, as an administrator, everything is data. And that's something that as an instruction leader that I'm really struggling with because you can switch the data to any the way you want. I mean, some people will report their discipline. Some people will not report their discipline. Some people only report certain things and it makes their school look great. So, you know, data and academics is super important. Um, I really feel like it's those soft skills. It's those life skills. It's got to be a mixture. I, I can't go one way or another. I really feel like um, we should be preparing our students to learn how to dress appropriately, uh, pro- sometimes professionally. I did a big tie drive about six, seven years ago where I got ties for all my students. And it wasn't the tie. It was the people that came in, the, the community leaders that came in, put the tie over their neck and said, this is, I wore a tie for the first time when I went to a job interview when I worked at this store or I had a funeral or I had a wedding to go to and it it just made me feel good about myself. And, um, I still have kids now that say they wear a tie to their, they wore my tie to the first job interview and that stuff makes it important. But, you know, learning how to change a tire, write a checkbook, these life skills are needed for the rest of their life. Academics to a point, you're not going to need to know history after a certain point. And I'm in charge of history at my school and social studies. I, I think it's important. I think it's great that they can regurgitate the information, but at what point do, is it really going to be useful? I really feel like we need to have not only the, the emotional support and the mental support, um, but we need to be teaching something that's relevant. The math skills are important, 100% relevant, because when you go to McDonald's and they're relying on whatever the machine tells them, what is that? You know, like, that doesn't help. You, you have to be able to think on your feet. You have to be able to make change or whatever you're doing 
So I really feel like it's got to be some academic because we have to show what we're doing is important. What if, if we got to show growth somehow? Um, if our our language arts scores are low to begin with, and we can creep up and and go from 65 to 75 percent, it means that they're getting it. They're they're on the right path, or we see where there's holes and how to fix them. That data is important, but at the same time, if we're struck, if we're so tunnel vision and all we think about is data, is all we think about is academics, and your kid better be passing all these classes or they're a failure. That doesn't tell the whole story of the kid. That doesn't tell the whole story of the teacher or the school for that matter. I have 31 different languages spoken at my school. If we have low grades in certain areas, it might be because I don't have someone to teach in Arabic where my kids need it. You know, so data is numbers. Uh, academics are, are important, but I think that it's got to be a, a big mix of life skills, the academics, and then wrap it all together with a foundation that we're here to provide you as many tools as possible for you to succeed, whatever that is. We're going to teach you how to succeed. I've always learned to teach kids how to take a test. I've learned, you know, how to relax and prepare for your day or how to get through certain tough times is needed. A lot of these kids don't get it at home. So it's up to schools to kind of step in sometimes and, and do that social emotional learning as well. Yeah. Coping skills. And like you said, there, there's a there's a tipping point or a fine line because you I mean you can't go all emotional because they do need that yeah, academic, no. and, and you can't go all academic because like you said, some kids don't know how to react even just react to to, to negativity or to failure. Um, and I know I, I had to deal with this with some of my kids in my class is that we have a we have six credits for math that they need to do. Well, you know, algebra, geometry, and then it was stated in our it was algebra two, which. Um, Okay, it looks like it froze. Are you still there? Yeah, it's frozen, but it's still there. Oh, I think. there we go. There We're good. Go. Um, so, and it was algebra two, and I'm like, I, you know, I had to talk to administration, and, and we had a turnover administration, you know, last year. But um, for me, and, and I don't want to like say that my kids can't do it, but it doesn't make sense for my students to take algebra two when they're not going on to college. They are planning on going into construction, into the working world. So we have to have all these different avenues. And, and thankfully this year we added a, um, in the gen ed setting, we added exploring math in the trades, which I thought is a great class. I wish we had, there's only one um, one period of it this year. It's, it's year long, but it's only one period. I wish we had at least two or three because there's so many kids that are, are not college bound, which is great. I mean, it's fine. You can make, you know, not everybody wants to go to college. You know, some people want to go straight into the trades or, you know, they may have a family business, who knows? But we have to we have to prepare them for what what they're going into. Like you said, it's not it's not cookie cutter. It's it's got to be um, we got to differentiate for for each of our kids. You know, plan some plan it out for them to be successful after high school. We differentiate our classrooms each and every day, but we don't differentiate for our kids with their life their life choice. And a lot of times, it's like if you don't go to the military, you don't go to college, you better have a job. Well, where, you know, you got to be able to, I think one of the most important things a school can do is have job fairs is have people come in from different professions and say, Hey, as a power company, we can hire you right out of college to drive the truck. $50,000 a year will outfit you and will teach you the skills so you can be a lineman and make $150,000 a year. You know, you, and you got to set that tone in middle school and eighth grade 
and then ease your way up and show as many different options as possible because some of these kids might be like, man, this is for me, you know, or if they like technology, they don't have to go to school for some of the technology. They can go ahead and change things around no matter what. Yeah, and so they, there's a lot of different options. And if they don't, if you don't tell them, they don't know. They just assume, okay, I'm going something tech. I got to go to college for four years. And then, but you can work, you know, start low or whatever it may be, or start into a trade school and then get in, then get into there. It doesn't have to be college bound for four years and then get into the tech industry. Yeah. So you're right. So that differentiation, we should, I always felt like we should have two tracks, a college bound track and then like a, um, you know, a straight to height or straight to, to work track. And, and you could jump tracks either way. Um, but for myself, I went to college for marketing. My first, my first semester, I had not planned on going, you know, for, for education. And I took a, a, a macroeconomics class and realized how much I hated it. And um, I was thinking about the teachers I had. And, man, I wish I could make an impact like they did. And, um, you know, I'm even back at the same school I actually went to. So just have, being that person there for those kids. And um, I had to spend so much money, thousands of dollars, and then change my mind. So, you know, like I said, some of these kids, they know they want to just go work or do a gap year, work, see if you like it. Yeah. You know. And then, like you said, some businesses will pay for trade school, you know. Well, again, it's, it's providing the tools. It's saying, okay, well, it's okay not to know. I mean, I'm one of the few people, probably the same way, when I was, like, in fifth grade, I knew I wanted to be a PE teacher. And everyone's like, you're kind of weird. And I'm like, <laughs> no, this is what I want to do. My, my PE teachers and my coaches were, were gods to me. They were, like, my, you know, I looked up to them, and I had the utmost respect for them, and I wanted to do that. Not everyone's the same way. So I tell them, students now, I said, look, just get your stuff, get your stuff together, get, get your gear together and know what you're going to do when you're leaving high school. You know, don't just have say, well, I'll just figure it out. There's no figuring out. You got to have a plan in place. And the school's job is to make sure that your plan is put in somewhat of place. Um, I tell my kids, I'll do 90% of the work right now in middle school. You got to come at least 10 and then it goes down to like 50-50 in the first beginning of high school. And then the, the, the paradigm switches as you get through junior and senior year. My daughter's a junior right now, and I see that she's putting in more work than her teachers are, and she's making a big deal about it. But I said, but they're preparing you. The hand-holding is gone. Yep. And we're not holding hands anymore. It's not elementary school. So if we can at least get them to come to the table, we're going to be better off. Because I still have kids that say, nah, bro, I'm good. I'm not doing any work we got to change that. Well, I, I taught at the middle school for a couple of years from in our district. Um, I was at the high school. I left for a year and I taught at a, a shelter for a year. Um, and it ended up being like, it was not what I expected. It was supposed to be science, like nine, 12, but it ended up being like K 12 math. So I, I came back and I was at our element or our middle school. And I tried to tell her kids, yeah, your, your grades you know, you might have F's and you may still, they're going to broken up a little bit. Oh, sorry. Does it sound better? It might be me, but it's like, is it choppy? It's a little bit. Yeah. Okay. I'll is sl- that better now? It, it, yeah. I, I can't hear it. So, um, maybe I'll, I'll talk slower. <laughs> maybe that's, it's, it's fine. That's- um, but I would tell the kids in middle school, yeah, I've taught at the high school. I understand that like, you don't get credit technically for your grades right now, 
But if you don't plan on, on working and getting the stuff done and, and passing, if you're lazy, and I, did, I don't know if I use the word lazy. At some point, I probably did. But, like, if you don't put forth the effort to pass, when you get into high school and you have the same effort, you're going to fail, but you have to pass it to, to get your credit to graduate. So even though you're not getting that yeah. credit now, you need to be on a path of, like, okay, this is what I need to do. So... I'm losing it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's choppy. Um, no, it's okay. I'm going to try to put their Wi-Fi off. Mine, it might be my Wi-Fi. All right. Um, <laughs> Too many things for Yeah. So, so we talk about, we always do, we like to give a tip to um, new teachers, you know, first year, second year teachers. Um, so what are some tips for some of those freshman, sophomore teachers and like, so, you know, years of experience? Um, when it comes to finding a balance of relationships, personal personal lives, you know, student growth, navigating the per, you know the bureaucracy of parents because we have that, um, and then all those other things, those hats we wear as as teachers. I know that was a lot um, to throw at you. So, sorry. No, it's okay. Um, so I have two brand new teachers, actually three, and it's it's kind of a joy to be able to see that um, and to see how they're jumping right in. Uh, I've surrounded them with expert teachers, but they're also like not afraid to ask questions. I think that's the big thing. You have so much a wealth of knowledge and it doesn't have to be in your subject area. Um, oftentimes we take mentors and mentees and match it up depending if it's a math teacher and a math teacher. That's good to a point, but you have to have horizontal and vertical help. Um, in middle school, if, if I know that my science teacher has been there for 20 years, and they have great classroom management, I'm going to encourage my social, brand new social studies teacher to go sit in on their science teacher lesson because they're going to see how they, they go about starting the lesson, ending the lesson, how do they deal with different things that come up. You want to lean on your seasoned teachers and not be afraid to ask questions. Um, but when it comes to, you know, the planning purposes within your subject area, horizontal and vertical planning are, are, are key. You have to be able to see what the older grades are doing and see how it ties in to what you're doing. Because if you don't, as a sixth grade social studies teacher, you don't lay the proper framework out, it's not going to get there. We always say, well, they're not learning in my class because they didn't learn it last year. They didn't do it the year before. So you're going to have to find out what those key elements are. And that comes from conversations. That comes from those CLT meetings. Uh, we have ours every Thursday. And then we do like a department meeting twice or three times a week, a month where I provide food and they're like happy because there's food there, random acts of pizza, you know, and, and so they'll, they interact better. <clears throat> and we also include people from our central office. Um, the movers and shakers that are helping create the curriculum, we invite them in. Whenever we have a question, we say, we have a question, come back in. And we're one of the few schools. Now I have a large school district where I am, uh, 22 middle school, 21 middle schools, so they said we're one of the few that come in and ask questions and are not afraid to have our young teachers step up and say, hey, I have an idea or do you think this will work? Um, you have to provide good classroom management strategies, professional development. You have to be able to say it's okay to fail. Um, I observed one of my new teachers and it was a total disaster. It was 15 minutes of a disaster. I looked at it. I took the paper. You know, and I was looking at it for a while and I went, let's try it again tomorrow. 
all right? It's okay. And she looked at me and she had tears in her eyes and she goes, you just did that? I'm like, yeah, we'll try again tomorrow. I'll come in and we'll take another look tomorrow and then we'll figure it out. Um, you have to be able to say that it's okay to fail and you have to, you know, and, and I've talked about this with you before that teacher mental health is so important to me. I want my teachers to feel comfortable to teach. I, so if they need to use the bathroom during the day, I don't want to hear that they can't go. Text me. They all have my cell phone. Hey, can you come down here for five minutes? I got to go. Okay, fine. I'll teach your class for 10, 15 minutes. I got no problem with that. If I'm not in the middle of a meeting or doing something else, I got you. And if I can build a relationship with them, they're going to feel more comfortable. They're going to feel more excited to do activities. And they're not going to be afraid to ask questions and say, why is this happening? Or what can we do here? Or if I say, these are my expectations, you give them a why behind it. And as new teachers, if they understand the why behind it, I think they're going to go work a little bit harder, not just because I said there's a reason behind the madness. Number one, you got to trust me. But number two, you're going to trust me because at the end, you're going to see that pot of gold. You're going to see that re the end result. And I have none of the answers. It's up to you guys. I know very little about social studies, but I know enough about teaching that I can help you steer your classroom the way you want it to be. Uh, and also go and do listen to podcasts, you know, go to speakers in the summer, go to different things, volunteer when you have the time, you know, that's that work-life balance. That I know we want to talk about, but don't be afraid to surround yourself with like-minded professionals. One of the biggest positives that I got out of the pandemic was I found my voice. I did start doing podcasts because I felt like I wasn't just a PE teacher. I wasn't just a, you know, a gym teacher who just rolled out the ball. I actually had value in what I had to say. When people wanted to not only listen, but have conversations, I surrounded myself with those people. And it, it grew. I grew and I could grow other people. And to me, that was 20 years in the making. That's, people encouraged me to write my book, to become a professional speaker, to think that there's more to life besides, you know, playing dodgeball. And, um, you know, encourage me to stick with administration and keep pushing because for a while I didn't get in to be an administrator. I was told I was just a gym teacher. You got no instructional value. You don't know anything about instruction. You're just a PE teacher. What do you know? I surprised them. Did the work, but I had people behind me. And as a new teacher, don't be afraid to support your fellow teachers. You know, don't be afraid. If you don't like what's going on, find a way to, Say you don't like it, but make sure you're coming with an, a solution. You know, and it's hard as a new teacher to come up with a solution, but do your homework. You'd be surprised. They might love it, and that could be the new initiative that you're going to take going forward. Well, and I think, um, <clears throat> and I appreciate how you were saying, like, you know, because there are, there's, there are young teachers that struggle, like you, like you mentioned with that, uh, that lesson of just, hey, let's try again tomorrow. And I think there's some administrators, and I'm going to say they're not good ones, and I, I haven't worked with one, but I'm just out there that assume that a new teacher has the same understanding as a 20-year veteran, and they don't don't support them. And, I, and that's, I think, part of burnout for some teachers is that they're, they're brand new to this. I mean, they're like a, like a baby standing up the run, and they, they need that support. And um, I, I like how you said to reach out to, to different things. And um, that's one reason why we started this and we haven't done it a lot for our podcast. It's just like 
just a, a few tips, but hey, you know, there's things that teachers just want to talk about if, if they're sitting there and, um, you know, part of it might be a gripe session, but solutions come from that sometimes, you know, or, or just bending somebody else's ear. And, and I like how you said, because you did Clubhouse, right? You, were, you started a Clubhouse, and, uh, and that was how different ways you met, you met other teachers too. And um, that's, you know, we just like to meet other professionals because we're going through the same thing with whether your school's got 1,100 kids or, you know, we've got 400 or there's a, a lot of the stuff is similar throughout, throughout education. And if, if you're in there by yourself and not asking questions, whether you're a new teacher or a 20-year vet at a new school, if you're not asking questions, you're, you're setting yourself up for a rough time and, and failure. You got to be able to ask those questions and not be afraid to, you know, ask why. I mean, we always have kids, especially, you know, you have kids when they're young, you tell them something. Why? Well, it's the same thing with teachers. You tell us to do something. We want to know, why am I doing this new initiative? What's it going to do? You know, it's just not another thing on my plate. So uh, I I appreciate how you had mentioned that. So um, we're at about 40 minutes. Is there anything you you want to? I was just going to say, we want our kids to be actively compliant in our student-centered classrooms. We want our teachers to be actively compliant as well. We want them to kind of, yeah, buy into what we're doing, but be active about it. You know, it doesn't have to be all sunshine and rainbows. If you think you can do something a little better, please share. At these faculty meetings, instead of being a dread, we should be able to start looking at some of our faculty meetings as a way that we can say, man, look what we're doing. We'd love to have you be a part of this. Or, hey, have you guys thought about doing this in a different subject area? And not be afraid to be pigeonholed because you're not just a science teacher. You're a part of our family. You're a part of this school. And we can only grow if we all work together. And I did have one question um, with new teachers, because uh, they've got so much on their plate, and they're, they're, they're kind of learning as they go. Do you um, not push them, but do you suggest to them of, of coaching? You know, you've got coaching apps. You've coached before. I've coached. Um, do you suggest to new teachers that, hey, you, another way to get into the, the district or kind of meet kids or work with kids is coaching? Or do you like would rather have them focus on the classroom itself and then eventually get into coaching? I think for new teachers, the best way that they can get through things and and deal with that work-life balance or even working with just the the craziness in the classrooms is focus on one thing at a time. Uh, We're doing the seven steps book of this year where we're talking about um, increasing class, you know, better classroom management, not accepting the words. I don't know when kids, stuff in class um, one of the smartest things that my principal has done is say yeah we have a lot of look fors as an instructional leader you want to see this going on in class but guess what we're only working on this one right here we're working on sentence starters we're working on the fact that you know we're going to talk and learn to listen and talk so out of the seven steps we're down to one and that's okay we're going to focus on the one because if we can get the one down the rest are going to be easier to do and as a teacher you know, you work to your strength and that your weaknesses, you're going to have to ask other people to come in. Um, we, we encourage our teachers to do many instructional rounds, the new teachers. Go visit the math class. Why? I'm a social studies teacher. Just go visit the math class. Same kids. See how they're doing with them. If you're struggling with this, maybe these kids aren't sitting together. Maybe she put them apart for a reason. Or maybe her classroom is set up a little bit different because she has a rhyme and reason behind the madness. And 
not only that, but it creates a community. So it's just not caught in pods or you're not just all, all the first year teachers and then season teachers. It ups the games of the season teachers as well. Cause they're, Oh, someone's in my classroom. I better, you know, figure it out. But we don't want that dog and pony. We want to be able to, you know, know that I rely on my season teachers, whether it's teacher leadership things or whether it's like, Hey, can you handle this? this situation in this classroom for me, just pop in and see what you see and let me know. Giving them a little bit of power and giving them a little bit of say for the season teachers are going to help build those relationships because they're going to say, wow, you're doing some cool things in your classroom, but I bet you I can make it better. Um, I don't have all the answers, but man, I've, I've been around and I've seen some ways that you can like tweak it. And those tweaks are what the new teachers need. Um, and if I can do something to take the load off a new teacher, you know, as a new teacher, you're especially moving to a new area, you're finding a place to live, you're finding, you're dealing with everything else and then going to work on top of that. If I can cut down on something and make it more streamlined for you and not volunteer you for 10,000 different things and say, this is what you're focused on. Let's do this. Um, that'll help. You know, they'll get to the point where they're itching to do other things because they're going to see, man, I bet you I could run a club here. I bet you I could coach a team, you know, but, you know, just kind of put the reins on them at first and it's for their benefit. Uh, the one teacher that I have is new and I'm like, you know, we're, we're doing this for your own benefit. I know you want to set the world on fire. I know you want to do this, that, and the other thing. Slow down. Breathe. We got to get through this. Show me you can do this and we can go on from there. I was lucky enough to have a principal at my first school in North Carolina that did that for me. She put the reins on me and said, yes, you're the athletic director. Yes, you're the PE teacher. And, but you're not going to jump into administrative stuff right away. Even though I wanted to, I wanted to come in and help out and do everything like that. She was show me you can do these other jobs first. Once you can do that, then she's going to spoon feed me to the point where, you know, there was times that she just handed me the keys as a 27 year old and said, all right, you're in charge today. We got a sub for you. You're, you're the building administrator. Now in 2000, that was, okay, probably not now, yeah. you know, you got to have that because of rules and regulations, but you know, but I, that's where I started getting the, the, the bug for administration, knowing that I could want not to be the big shot, but knowing I could be like, man, I can make this school so much better because I would sit at faculty meetings and I'd be like, man, something's got to change. I want to change it, but how? Yeah. Put yourself in a position you're able to. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Well, Ryan, Ryan, I appreciate you coming on here. Um, is there any last, any last words you've got for, for any new teachers or, or just anybody that might be listening to this? I'm sorry. I didn't hear what the last part was. Uh, is there anything else you might have that you want to say before we, we head out here? You know, as, as new and experienced teachers or administrators or coaches or whatever you're involved in, um, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be afraid to fall on your face and don't be afraid to lean on other people. Um, and, and know that if you're in a psychological safe environment, it's okay to make mistakes. You know, if you're in a school that they say, you know what, you screwed up, let's figure it out. And, and tomorrow's a new day. The sun's going to rise no matter what. And we're going to get through it. If you can, once you feel comfortable as a teacher, you're going to make your kids feel comfortable because they're going to see you come in every day, not go, I hate my job. It's going to be like, you know, Hey, we're, we're good. And I'm going to take you to that next level. So, you know, as an administrator, I want to be, make that environment safe for everybody, but especially my teachers. Wouldn't have schools without teachers. 
psychological safety is very important. Teacher mental health is extremely important. They, the kids have counselors. I honestly believe the schools need to have counselors for teachers. Just one. Maybe it comes in and it has time for teachers to talk. I try to leave my door open. I try to leave it as an option for people to talk, drop me an email, whatever I have to do, and, and, and do that active listening skill. Because, like I said in the book, without listening skills, you become lost in a world that's constantly trying to tell you something. Well, the book is uh, The Boy Who Lost his, his Ears. It's on Amazon. It's paperback. I grabbed that. Is it also ebook? I thought I saw. On Kindle, it's free. On Kindle, it's free. I had to, I, you know, I have to hold a book sometimes, you know. So I, I had to buy the paperback of it. But it was, it was a great book. So I appreciate you, you being here and, and, and with us. And um, we'd love to touch base again. Uh, you know, down the road and have you back on. So we appreciate everything. Yeah, definitely. Any way I can help. All right. Any way I can help, I'm geared, geared toward because you never know who you're going to run into. All right. Sounds, so I appreciate it. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you.